Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you? I pray that you are well and that all manner of things are well. It is um, two weeks, two weeks before, um, oh, how did I, how did I just, two weeks before um, uh, Lent. It is sex to a sex to a jessima, um, the uh, six six Sundays away from uh, Easter, actually, um, and I just lost something that I had for you. Hold on, just a moment. We'll get it back. Um, many people don't know what the whole season. Uh, it's called a pre-Lent. Is um, uh, begins with Septuagesima, and then which is seven weeks before Easter. Uh, sexagesima six weeks before, and quinquagesima five weeks before Easter, and then our Lent begins. And the whole season is really called Septuagesima. Let me let me remind you, dear ones, that um, during our program now we'll take calls the whole hour, um, and uh, you can call in with anything on your heart. What we're speaking about, yes. Um, or anything that's on your heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of your heart always. And the toll-free number to call in anytime during this hour is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Um, we put up on our website, www.motherofisraelshope.org, um, the forgotten customs of Sep. To Agesima, and it's an article um, written by um, Matthew Please, and it's on the website of onepeter5.com, the forgotten customs of Septuagesima. We shouldn't forget them. They're so beautiful, and we're living them here at the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. Um, in his letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, Brethren, know you not that they that run in the race all run, indeed, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every one that striveth for mastery refraineth himself from all things. And they indeed, that they may receive a corruptible, corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible one. I therefore so run, not as an uncertainty. I so fight, not as one beating the air, but I chastise my body and bring it into subjection, lest perhaps when I have preached to others, I myself should become a castaway. And again, that's taken from um, the epistle on Septuagesima Sunday of Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. Septuagesima is the ancient period of time um, observed for two and a half weeks before the start of Lent. It's celebrated on the third Sunday before the first Sunday in Lent, 
and we're at now at Sexagesima, the second Sunday before the first Sunday in Lent. Septuagesima is both the name of the third Sunday before Lent's beginning, as well as the season itself that runs from Septuagesima Sunday up until Ash Wednesday. The season of Septuagesima comprises the Sundays of Septuagesima, Sexagesima, and Quinquagesima, seven, six, and five Sundays from the beginning of Lent. The Fourth Council of Orleans in 541 AD documents the existence of this season. And this time, formally called pre-Lent, is a time for us to focus on the need for a Savior. It is a time to prepare a Lenten prayer schedule so that we can determine which extra devotions and masses we will go to in Lent. It is a time to begin weaning ourselves from food so that we may more easily observe the strictest strictest fast during Lent. So we've already begun penances as of last Sunday um, and uh, a little over a week ago. We began um, noting small penances. We, we fast on Wednesday, Friday, and Friday we abstain from meat, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, and just begin to deprive our body of food and maybe sleep, other things um, that we can do in, to make reparation for our sins. Starting with first Vespers of Septuagesima, which is prayed on the Saturday evening before Septuagesima, that's a week ago, um, the Alleluia ceases to be said until we proclaim our Lord's resurrection. So we no longer say the Alleluia. Um, and um, uh, our church here, we've, we've stopped the Alleluia, but when we go to church because it's Novus Ordo, they have the Alleluia. So it's a little bit confusing, um, but the Alleluia is stopped. And... Um, uh, until we proclaim the Lord's resurrection. And in the old uh, calendar and the Tridentine, the old Mass, there's no exception. At first Vespers of Septuagesima Sunday, two Alleluias are added to the closing verse of Benedicamus Domino. The Lord bless you. Benedicamus Domino. Domino, and its response, Deo gratias, as during the Easter octave, Starting with Compline, that's the night prayer, the word Alleluia is no longer said until the Easter Vigil and the proclamation of the Lord's Resurrection. As a result, many monasteries and some parishes began the custom of physically burying a banner with the word Alleluia and only unearthing it on Easter some places also adopted rather elaborate farewell to Alleluia ceremonies. Um, uh, there was a, a Scott Hahn, Scott, not Scott Hahn, um, we love that man, Father Scott Hayes from the Archdiocese of Chicago writes in this custom that Pope Alexander II decreed that the dismissal of the Alleluia be solemnly marked on the eve of Septuagesima Sunday, that is, three Sundays before Ash Wednesday, in the chanting of the Divine Office 
by inserting alleluias in the sacred text. This custom also inspired the creation of new hymns sung at Vespers honoring the alleluia. This burial of the alleluia was nicknamed the deposition, that is, the giving on deposit. Curiously enough, gravestones in Catholic cemeteries traditionally had the inscription depositus, or simply D, to indicate a Christian's burial. When this term indicates the burial of the Alleluia or of the faithful departed, the Christian belief in resurrection is clear. As we bury those who have been marked with the sign of face, with the sign of faith, and as we enter into fasting, the fasting of Lent, we do not silence our tongues because of despair or permanent loss. Rather, we do so with confidence that what has been deposited into the earth, our dead, our alleluia, will rise again. There are other notable, noticeable changes um, in the church's liturgy with the beginning of Septuagesima. Violet vestments are worn, except on feasts, from Septuagesima Sunday until Holy Thursday, as during Advent and Lent. The Gloria and the Te Deum are no longer said on Sundays. The readings at Matins for the first week of Septuagesima are the first few chapters of Genesis, telling of the creation of the world, of Adam and Eve, the fall of man, and resulting expulsion from the Garden of Eden and the story of Cain and Abel in the following weeks before and during Lent, the readings continue to Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. The gospel reading for Septuagesima Sunday is the parable of the workers in the vineyard from Matthew chapter 20. It's so rich to um, observe these feasts, these uh, the tradition the liturgical year that has been so for 2,000 years, beloved. It is so beautiful. We do have a call. Let's pause for a minute. We have a call from Linda uh, from Buffalo. Hello, Linda. Hi, Mother. How are you doing? How are you? I'm okay. Hello, How about you. yourself, sweetie? I'm well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, Mother, I'm calling about a program that I heard last Wednesday. I yes. believe that was in a call about Applied kinesiology in Muslim testing. Oh, um, yes. Do you want me to, want me to hold for after the oh, break? Well, you okay to do that? Yes. Okay. Thanks so much. And we'll be right back after the break to take um, your further calls if you wish to call in 1 877 511 5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. Hold on, Linda. We'll be right back.
prayer of deliverance. Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent from your diocese, our apostolate is listener supported. The Station of the Cross thanks our supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. Thank you for your continued support and may God bless you and your family. Listening to the Station of the Cross on your car radio, but sometimes find yourself driving outside the listening area? Never miss another minute of your favorite show. Download the iCatholic Radio app so you can listen anywhere in the world 24 hours a day. The iCatholic Radio app is available for your phone in the Apple Store or for your Android phone in Google Play. Visit thestationofthecross.com for more information. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, and this is... Um, uh, the time that you are able to call in during the entire hour, we no longer wait to the second half. So feel free to call in, dear ones, uh, with anything on your heart. one 511 5483 or email at mother at Uh We have Linda from Buffalo on the line. Hi, Linda. And you had a question about kinesiology, which we spoke about last week. Yeah, I have a question, but I, I'd like to tell you a little bit about my experience with that, too. Um, for a long time, I saw a doctor who did apply kinesiology. The specific program they used was called um, nutrition response testing, mm -hmm. and um, it was founded by a Scientologist, and the doctor insisted he was, he was not a Scientologist, and there was no Scientology in the program. But as years went on, he did begin to get into Scientology, and things began to become weird um, to the point where on one occasion, um, he had someone else in the office with him, too, and I saw that one time when they were testing my daughter, she responded to something with muscle testing that he had thought he didn't. Um, he just thought it, and she responded to it. And mm. I, you know, I asked how that could be, and... Um, basically said my body is amazing, it can do many things or whatever. And 
I, you know, I, I came to believe that the nutrition response testing program, that there's something wrong with it. But on the other hand, muscle testing itself, um, just applied kinesiology, um, you had, you looked something up online for your caller last week, and you came across something that somebody who said it was divination and like using the body from a Ouija board. And I'm confused because um, I had good Catholic chiropractors, or one at least, who did muscle testing, did not do the nutrition response program, and has told me that it's, it's just, if I remember correctly, just basically neurological, um, that there was nothing wrong with it. And I accepted it so readily when I started the program because I remembered when I was a child, my aunt, who's a chemist, had me hold some salt in my hand and she pushed down on my arm and my arm stayed strong. And then she put some sugar in my hand and she pushed down on my arm and I went completely weak. <laughs> and that's kind mm-hmm. of like muscle, what muscle testing does that, you know, it shows when you go weak and when you're strong. So I accepted it because of that experience as a child. But then, you know, you looked up something online and somebody, and that's what my question is, do you remember who it was? Um, you were quoting as saying that it's divination and like using the body for an Ouija board. Right. It, it can be. It, I, I don't remember. I'm so sorry, um, uh, Linda. I don't remember what I read from um, that I saw online. It can or cannot be. It, it was developed, as you say, Scientology, New Age. Uh, the source was not good, but it can be... Uh, can be all right. Um, I have something in front of me that says, from a Christian perspective, a technique may be labeled occultic if two things. The practitioner imposes their occult beliefs into the treatment and the unsuspecting patient accepts their beliefs or in order for the treatment to work, there must be the invocation of a supernatural force, which would be a demon. So in, in those cases, um, it could be occultic. Um, I think I recall that the caller, um, uh, well, it wasn't a caller, I think it was an email where um, the doctor uh, said something or got something and the patient asked where it was from, his thought was from, and he answered, uh, you mean, don't you know? The doctor wasn't Christian, and, and the and the patient was a Catholic, and she never asked him. No, I don't know. What are you talking about? So, uh, it seemed that he was interacting somehow with the spirit world, and she said called on the Holy Spirit, but he wasn't Catholic or Christian. So, um, uh, so we looked it up and said it can it can be fine. It can be an okay practice, but if spirits are called upon. Um, then we're looking into the occult. I do remember all that. So would you say a little bit of muscle testing that you've learned how to do at home, like where you just hold your fingers tight and hold on to a vitamin or or something, a vitamin or Mm -hmm. something, and pull your fingers apart and see what makes you weak and strong, that's basically neurological and that's okay Uh, to do at home? Yeah, I wouldn't know. I haven't, I wouldn't, I can't say for sure, but I wouldn't think that's occultic at all. No, I I would say that that sounds okay. Yeah, that sounds okay. Um, And here, here here the article goes on to say, um, 
um, for the first response, the practice imposes their occult beliefs into the treatment and the unsuspecting patient accepts their beliefs. The um, explanation says we are called to use knowledge so that we will not participate in doctrines of demons, um, uh, which is the primary thrust of um, this article I'm reading on kinesiology. Um, But in order for the treatment to work, there must be, if in order for the treatment to work, there must be the invocation of supernatural force, that is, demons, Um, the article says a Christian as a Christian you will be able to judge that for yourself even if you cannot nothing can harm you in Christ in that sense so um, it it seems uh, I'm no expert on kinesiology and haven't uh, come across it personally but it seems that uh, its origin may have been uh, through some form of occultic practice, but it doesn't need to be occultic at all. It can be a legitimate form of um, healing for the body. Okay, that's good to hear. Mother, could you please keep me in turn also for um, spiritual... No, I, did, I didn't hear your last sentence. Say it again. I said, could you please also keep me in prayer because of spiritual darkness and spiritual attack? Oh, my goodness, yes. Linda... Um, Linda, take a look. Are you familiar with Father Chad Ripiger um, yes. and his auxiliorum, auxiliorum Christinorum, I th- I'm probably saying it wrong, uh, prayers that you could say every day um, for, for, Christ- for darkness, for feeling spiritually attacked? Um, I think you can download them online. Okay. Thank, thank you, Mother. I, I actually have to be very careful with that because of vulnerability. Um, I did speak to an authority in my diocese. Um, but, okay. But, yes, I, I do pray to Our Lady on Tire of Knots every day. And, and oh, well, that's good. Okay. That's yeah. very thank, good. Thank you so much, Mother. All right, sweetheart. Mind at ease about the good. Subject. Thank you. All right. God bless you, dear one. God bless you. Um, Okay, again, our lines are wide open. If you wish to call in, toll-free 1-877-511-5483. Let me continue on um, the uh, article on Septuagesima. We're in that season now, just a few weeks before Lent. Two weeks now, where this yesterday was Sexagesima, six weeks before uh, Easter, actually, two weeks before Lent. And so... Um, on the connection with, of this ancient season with Lent, that is, the whole three weeks prior to Lent, is called pre-Lent. Um, and we begin, we just begin to um, have control of our passions, of our appetites, of our senses, and, and begin to fast, um, uh, begin to fast from food um, or from practices that are not good for us um, so we uh, maintain control over our flesh Um, on the connection of this ancient season with Lent the great liturgist and author of the liturgical year Dom Garanger observed this the season upon which we are now and we follow that as Benedictine he was one of the greatest Benedictines I believe his cause is up for canonization he lived in the 1800 restored Gregorian chant to Europe and um, he was the abbot the first abbot of Salem 
Um, and he said, the season upon which we are now entering is expressive of several profound mysteries. But these mysteries belong not only to the three weeks which are preparatory to Lent, they continue throughout the whole period of time which separates us from the great feast of Easter. And um, there is a pre-Lenten fasting, and since Vatican II, I think pretty much it's been dropped for the Catholic faithful, um, and it's it's a it's a tragedy. Um, the fact we should be fasting, we drop the Alleluia, um, uh, and again the vestments would be purple. So we're preparing for Lent. Septuagesima is also an appropriate time for us to begin, um, as this article says, preparing our bodies for the upcoming Lenten fast by incorporating some fasting into our routine. In some places, a custom of observing a fast of devotion in anticipation of and in preparation for the great Lenten fast has observed, was observed, as Father Weiser mentions in his Handbook of Christian Feasts and Customs, quote, this preparatory time of free Lent in the Latin Church was suggested by the practice of the Byzantine Church, which started its great fast earlier because their 40 days did not include Saturdays. Um, St. Maximum, who lived in 465 AD, uh, the Bishop of Turin, mentioned the practice in one of his sermons. It is a pious custom, he said, to keep a fast of devotion, not of obligation, but of devotion before the start of Lent. Um, uh, we have a um, someone who's written in on Facebook this question. Mother, um, Carol did. Uh, do you and your sisters use the Liturgy of the Hours four-volume set or the monastic diurnal? Carol, we use the Benedictine monastic diurnal because we're Benedictines, and it's quite old. It's only one volume uh, that we use for the entire year. It's a diurnal. Diurnal means the day prayers, so the only thing it does not contain is matins, and so we have matins separately. Um, So the four-volume Liturgy of the Hours is fine. Um, I would prefer the Roman um, canon, um, uh, but also, uh, again, we pray the monastic diurnal, the Benedictine monastic diurnal. Um, Let me see where we are now. Um, Back to the article on Septuagesima. As we are on the threshold of the beginning of the holy season of Lent, we should, in a special way, recall the importance of observing some penance even in the days before Lent. And uh, the article refers to a 13-minute video on the importance of penance in Septuagesima versus um, via on the website of Census Fidelium. Um, That would be a very good article to reflect on. And he continues the article with the practice of Shrove Tuesday. We'll be right back, beloved, um, to continue with this article and to take your calls, your texts, and your emails. Don't go away. Call in if you wish during the break at 1-877-511-5483 or email at motheratthestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. 
Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I'm a widower, parent of three almost adults, and listen to you guys around the clock. Father McTigg, Society of Jesus, he's wonderful. Mother Miriam, of course, the Divine Office, and many other great things that Station of the Cross does. So thanks very much for your great work. I had a friend at work email me and tell me about the Station of the Cross a couple months after it started. And I was so excited, I tuned into it, and I found that I love the Catholic Station. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. Husbands, have you ever worried about the risks to your wife's health from the birth control method she's using? Why not learn a natural method of family planning that is 99% effective in postponing pregnancy and causes no risks to your wife's health? Find all the information you need for natural family planning classes or the home study course from the Couple to Couple League website at www.ccli.org or call 513-471-2000. Jesus 911. Now, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. My name is Jesse Romero. I'm a retired Los Angeles cop. I'm a Catholic lay evangelist. My show on spiritual warfare is called Jesus 911, where you've got three retired LA cops, Ruben Nava, Eddie Chavez, talking about the Catholic faith and teaching you spiritual warfare, how to defend yourself against the devil, the world, and the flesh. Catch the Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, on the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back. To Mother Miriam Live, beloved, I am she and I am live, and this is our second half hour, and again, you are welcome to call in at any time, and with anything on your heart, toll free, one 5483 We have um, a Facebook mes- message um, uh, from Jane, and Jane says, would you have any suggestions as to what... Uh, those of us in the world can do to start our mini Lent. Well, Jane, um, in our little religious community here, each sister can choose her own penance. Um, We do fast. We fast Wednesday and Friday. Uh, Wednesday was the day that our Lord was betrayed by Judas. That's a... um, a long time tradition in the church that we would fast on Wednesdays and Friday. Friday's the day our Lord was crucified. So we do fast Wednesday and Friday. We also abstain from meat Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. When Lent begins, we will completely abstain from meat for the whole of Lent. Um, again, in honor of our Lord, meat. Um, and some abstain from even meat products, eggs and butter and milk and so forth. Uh, no one has to go that far. You can, but um, 
right now the suggestion would be um, to start your mini Lent to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays, which would be, according to the church's um, program of fast, would be one meal a day and then maybe two snacks uh, that don't really equal a second meal together. Um, so what we might do here, what we do do here is have a light breakfast and then one meal, and that's the end of it for the whole day. Uh, we eat the meal at uh, three, and we don't eat after that. Um, and so um, you can begin that with a fast, but I would suggest in addition to that, that each one in the family um, um, choose a, a penance of a sort, just to begin um, your mini lens. So one might say, I'm going to spend a half hour of spiritual reading every day. If they haven't done that, that's a good thing. If you haven't prayed the rosary, that you pray the rosary every day. Um, it could be that you um, maybe get up a half hour earlier, an hour earlier to pray. Uh, if the day is too busy and you don't fit prayer in, if you are accustomed to going to Mass only on Sundays, um, you might try a couple of extra days during the week, daily Mass as well. Um, you know, I would say um, you might also, uh, St. Francis de Sales, for the order of the visitation that he founded, he would have his sisters abstain every single day at every meal from one thing throughout their life. For one day, they don't put salt on their eggs. Or another day, they, put, they don't put milk in their coffee or whatever it is. Very, very small, but it's, it, it teaches the body's mastery over the flesh. And nobody needs to know about it. No big deal. Um, you can do those sorts of things. Decide not to salt your food or put sugar in your coffee or whatever it might be. Um, you might decide to refrain from dessert. Um, or take half a portion of your favorite food. Just whatever is going to discipline your body. There's no shoulds here. It's very personal to each individual what they are giving up for God, what they are striving for mastery over their flesh um, for the sake of our Lord who gave his all for us. I hope somehow that that helps, Jane. Um, uh, Teresa has written in and she said, Mother Miriam, can you speak about the rapture? My friend's children brought her a video to watch. It was about the rapture and they were so excited. I know that Catholics should not believe that, but can you expand on that, Teresa? Well, Catholics do believe in the rapture. Um, it's that Protestants, I need to look up a verse here. Um, hold on, I, I need to look up a verse for you. Um, just a moment. Um, Protestants believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. In other words, um, they believe that the rapture is going to be actually a third coming of Christ. He came the first time. He's coming the second time to set up his kingdom. And they believe in an intermediate coming of him, uh, not all the way to earth, but he'll come part way and, and bring those who true believers up, uh, caught with him in the air, as the Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have that verse ready before me. Um, 
just a minute. Now, I've got to get it for you. It's I think it's uh, Thessalonians 4. Uh, I'll need to look it up, so sorry. But um, the Catholics um, believe at the second coming of Christ, the living and the dead will be raised. At this, the Christ's second coming, the dead will be raised, um, and uh, those who are true believers will be raised with them and will be caught up in the air, Paul says. Uh, that wasn't going to happen immediately. It is at the end of time, at Christ's second coming. Um, I want to look it up here on um, my favorite apologetics site, catholic.com. Um, and I suggest to anyone who has these sorts of um, uh, questions um, that you can always look at catholic.com and... Um, it's um, a wonderful, number one apologetic site in the world. Um, here it is. And it says, The Catechism teaches that the Church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. We might be going through the beginning of that now, dear ones. And such a persecution will unveil the mystery of iniquity in the form of a religious deception offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. This religious deception will be that of the Antichrist. Um, some Protestants believe that the Bible teaches otherwise and that Christians will not experience the persecution of the Antichrist but will be snatched up by the Lord prior to it. This is a doctrine known as pre the pre-tribulation rapture. There's several theologies on that. The millennium, the pre-tribulation rapture, the post-tribulation rapture. In my form of um, Protestantism as an evangelical for 18 years prior to coming to the Catholic Church, we lived in the pre-tribulation rapture, that we would be raptured um, at least midway through the tribulation um, so that we would not experience it. And the, uh, the passage, here it is, uh, often referred to as 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 4, verses 15 to 17, that says this, For this we declare to you, Apostle Paul writes this, For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. In fact, when Paul wrote that, um, if you read First and Second Thessalonians, the Christians packed their bags and were waiting outside for the rapture. And he said, "Get come down from the roof, get to work. Um, um, it, it's not yet." Um, but uh, the Protestants who adhere to the rapture view that Paul cannot be talking about the second coming because Jesus only comes partway down. So they say it's not the second coming. And then he goes back up. Um, and because no judgment of the nations is mentioned, um, uh, they think this much must be referring to a rapture between the first and second coming, but it's not the same. 
um, if you wish, go to catholic.com. You can read the full apologetic for it. But what Paul is talking about is not a pre-tribulation rapture. We're not going to be raptured from the earth and miss the devastation to come. No. Um, This is talking about our Lord's second coming, that at his second coming, those who are alive, true believers, will be caught up. The dead will rise first, and the rest of us believers will be caught up with him um, in the air. Okay, let me see now. Um, Let me, what I'd like to do is just read the end of the article on Shrove Tuesday that we began. Um, And um, Matthew says, the writer of this article, for those who plan to keep the true Lenten fast, that is, fasting for all 40 weekends of weekdays of Lent and abstaining from all meat and all animal products all 40 days, that is the true Lenten fast, not the pre-Lent, which we're in, but the Lenten fast that begins on Ash Wednesday. Um, And of course, Ash Wednesday is a day of abstinence and fast. But following that, for those who plan to keep the true Lenten fast, um, that is to fast for all 40 weekdays of Lent and abstain from all meat and all animal products all 40 days of Lent and on all Sundays. Um... Fat Tuesday, Shrove Tuesday, represents one last day of merriment. Well, let me just make an exception to what I just read, because it's quite common today that Sundays are omitted and that we do not fast on Sundays or holy days of obligation. We don't fast. We can. We can. And I say it's easier to keep the fast the whole of Lent, including Sundays, than to splurge on Sunday and go back to the fast on Monday. And you can do it for love of our Lord to fast on Sunday. But if you don't, it doesn't mean you don't love him. Um, It's very common for us to not fast on Sundays. Um, But those who do, Fat Tuesday, Shrove Tuesday, represents one last day of merriment. Unfortunately, this day has grown into a debaucherous celebration by many who hardly fast at all during Lent. And for this reason, while we can observe Fat Tuesday by enjoying food, including um, some very famous foods, um, which are customarily eaten on this day, certain Polish sausages and others, we should ensure that our merriment never turns to gluttony. Some cultures, like the English, adopted the custom of eating pancakes on Shrove Tuesday, or Fat Tuesday it's called, um, earning it the nickname of Pancake Tuesday. This custom, like the Polish one, was observed because for centuries the use of any animal byproducts like cheese, butter, milk, or eggs was forbidden for the entirety of Lent. We should consider adopting a similar observance this year with our Lenten fast. Well, let me say, beloved, if you've never refrained from meat from the whole of Lent, my suggestion would be to take that up, to refrain from meat. If you you, uh, don't want to go as far as meat products, cheese, butter, milk, and eggs, um, you, you don't have to. There's no pain of sin on any of this. But I would urge you to, to fast from meat, all forms of meat. Um, um, so no bacon and eggs. Okay, but, but if you have eggs, um, 
may be okay, but no direct meat products. The practice of observing um, carnival celebrations was based on the approaching Lenten fast. The word carnival comes from the Latin words carnis, meaning meat or flesh. And veil, carnival, carnival, val, veil, the Latin word for farewell. Carnival then became the last farewell to meat, since meat was never permitted at all during Lent. Again, until the liberating changes of Pope Benedict XIV in 1741, Lent was always a season of complete abstinence for centuries. So, beloved, um, when we learn these beautiful customs of walking with our Lord uh, through his earthly, earthly passion, um, it's very, very beautiful to observe them and to truly walk with him and not feed our flesh, but to feed our souls through fasting. We'll be right back. If the cares and anxieties of life are weighing you down, come to the St. Thomas More House of Prayer and allow the Lord to refresh your soul. The St. Thomas More House of Prayer is a Catholic retreat center devoted to praying and promoting the liturgy of the hours. You'll find a tranquil atmosphere that's ideal for deep prayer, whether as an individual or for a group retreat. We're located at 365 Hill City Road in Cranberry, Pennsylvania. Make your reservation today or learn more at liturgyofthehours.org. You can also call us at 814-676-1910. That's 814-676-1910. We would love to help you experience the Liturgy of the Hours and discover the prayer that will change your life. The iCatholic Radio mobile app is two apps in one. Your place to hear great Catholic programs and music. Here's what listeners are saying about the updated iCatholic Radio mobile app. Through the iCatholic Radio app, I have listened to the sermons and teachings several times. The effect has been a deeper understanding of my faith and Catholic tradition. This app has truly been a blessing in my life and has increased my faith. With the new app, you can choose to listen to our programs like Mother Miriam Live or The Catholic Current whenever you like. But you can also switch over to the best in contemporary music by Catholic artists. We even bring you hours of Gregorian chant every Sunday morning. If you do not currently have our app, download it to your iPhone through the Apple Store or to your Android phone by going to Google Play and searching iCatholic Radio. The updated iCatholic Radio mobile app, your one stop for great Catholic programs and music. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. Um, and you're welcome to call in uh, again, as always, with anything on your heart. Toll free one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three. Yes, um, or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. 
Um, we have an email from Gail who says, Mother, could you clarify what is going around recently regarding the authenticity being claimed about the book of Enoch? My parish priest said he is not familiar with the book at all, and I have read some priests who say it seems that it is not a problem to read it. Um, thank you, Gail. Um, um, again, on Catholic.com, there is uh, an article um, on the book of Enoch, and we know that um, Enoch is mentioned several times in the Bible. In the book of Jude, uh, Jude says it was um, one of these also, after several metaphors illustrating um, future du- judgment, it was of these that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied. And you might remember, and the book of Hebrews says that Enoch um, pleased God. He walked with God, and God took him. He was the first assumption that we know of in Scripture because he walked with God. He was holy. Um, And the book of Jude says, It was of these also that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with myriads of his holy ones to execute judgment on all etc. He was the seventh generation from Adam. Um, The work that Jude quotes, this is from Catholic.com article, the work that Jude quotes is known as the book of Enoch, also as first Enoch to distinguish it from two later Enochian books. It is said to be among the pseudepigrapha, um, meaning books attributed to someone other than the person who wrote them. Scholars do not regard Enoch as its author, but it's called the Book of Enoch. It is also classified as an apocalypse, a work that provides the symbolic prophecies of the future and a tour of the invisible world, or both of these. Enoch was popular before the time of Christ, and for several centuries after, its original language was likely Aramaic, um, though Hebrew, or a mixture of both, um, it was translated into Greek, Latin, and the Ethiopian language. Despite its popularity, it became a lost work in Europe. Western scholars knew about it only from Jude, and scattered references from the Church Fathers. Um, in uh, 1773, Scottish traveler James Bruce brought it back from Ethiopia, um, where the Greek, uh, well, the Ethiopian language, which is Gais, I'm not pronouncing it right, I'm sure, uh, translation survived because the Ethiopian Orthodox Church alone among Christian churches considered it scripture. And so it is not scripture, beloved. Uh, there is nothing wrong in reading it. There are many extra biblical books that were not included in the canon, but we are free to read them and gain from them. Um, this says, beginning in the 1800s, it began to impact biblical studies because it shed light on multiple Old and New Testament passages. Uh, passages. For a time, scholars thought Enoch was written in the second century B.C., just before and after the Maccabean revolt. revolt. Boy, I'm not reading well this morning at all, am I? But in the 20th century, Aramaic fragments were found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. This pushed back the date of composition, and today it is recognized that much of the book um, of Enoch 
was written in the 3rd century B.C. or earlier. Um, And it does say that scholarly interest in Enoch has grown remarkably. And despite its non-canonical status, it has been included in several Bible commentaries. The one volume of Erdman's commentary on the Bible includes it, and the multi-volume Hermeneia series has a two-volume commentary on the book. Um, interest has has not been confined to scholarly circles, so there is now a lively popular discussion of it in books for ordinary lay people and on the internet. So, Gail, dear, that's what you're speaking about, and um, it, I've just learned from what I just read myself, because I didn't know that that was going around. So the Book of Enoch is real. It's not canonical. It doesn't mean everything in it is false. It simply meant that it was not, um, um, it did not meet the rule, uh, the plumb line, for what was uh, to be included in the canon as uh, inerrant. Okay. Um, we have a question from Valerie on Facebook who says, wasn't Enoch a giant? He was a spiritual giant, but not a physical giant. I don't know where you got that. I think he's in Genesis chapter 5. He's also in Wisdom chapter 4, if I recall, that God took Enoch early to keep him from the... um, Um, corruption of this age. He was the father of Methuselah, who lived, I think, if I remember, I once did a little study on Enoch. He lived for 365 years. Don't quote me, because I could be wrong, but he was the father of Methuselah, who lived, I think, for 969 years. So, very, very long, but not a physical giant, but a spiritual one, yes, because he included by the writer of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, Uh, saying that he walked with God, that he pleased God. Um, We have an email from Paul who says, I was always taught that um, all three persons of the Holy Trinity were of equal importance. That's That's correct, Paul. They're equal in every way. However, doesn't Jesus say somewhere that the Father is more important than he? Um, Wouldn't this mean that I was taught incorrectly? No. He never says the Father is more important. Um, Oh, what does he say? Um, The Father is greater, not more important. The Father is greater than I, he says. If I remember, I'd have to look it up. Um, You know what might help all of you, Paul, also? When you have a question like that, um, don't just take what people say or what you think you've heard, but look it up. So either by looking it up, you will be um, helped in uh, clarity, or you ask the right answer with the right question with the right, um, with even a scripture reference, which is very helpful to you as well as as to others. Um, He said, the Father and I are one, yet the Father is greater than I. So 
um, to, the Jews took up stones to stone him when he said the Father and I are one, John chapter 10, because it meant they were one in essence, one in substance, by which he was claiming to be God. And he said to the Jews, for what, what are you stoning me? What have I done? And they said, for nothing that you've done, but because you being a man claim to be God, which he did many times, but also by saying the Father and I are one. But he also came... Um, became man for us without giving up any of his godhood. So he was 100% God while being 100% man and came in humility and submission, Philippians chapter 2 says. He took the form of a slave to the point of death, death on the cross. In that, he did, did everything the Father told him. He came to bring us the Father, to show us the Father. He said, the Father is greater than I. I do all that the Father tells me. He showed us complete submission to the Father. He came to show us the Father. And Philip said, where, where is he? And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Philip. Not, not too understandable for us mortals. But, um, um, but no, he is both... Um, both God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are equally God, one God in three persons. But again, Jesus came in humility to submit himself to the Father. God bless you and we'll be with you all, God willing, tomorrow.